Amen. Okay, so Ruth, we're going to look at it a little differently. Most times, most weeks, what we do in a, each sermon is we try to bring in Jesus to show you how he fulfills something. And because he does that, you can, through Jesus, be empowered to get on with him. So there's no condemnation or guilt or shame, but faith in Jesus to turn to Jesus and to trust him to uh, lead you or change you or shape you in some way, shape, or form. This is going to seem a little different because uh, what we're going to do with Ruth is it's going to be a little bit more like TV episodes. Now, I don't like TV. Last year, I decided I wasn't going to watch TV shows uh, for a year, and I thought it was going to be hard, but I found out I was so relieved that I didn't have to watch a TV show. Why I don't like TV shows is because they never end. And I, I, want, I like movies because they get to an end. But TV shows put in like a little bit to bring you back the next week, right? And so it's like, oh, no, I've got to give up another block of time for this thing. Can't you just, can't I just read what happens? Um, so I, I found that out. National Geographic, fantastic. Documentaries, fantastic. Anything that ends, fantastic. Uh, but you're going to feel a little bit like this is one of those shows that doesn't end. Uh, and there's going to be a little bit more left over for next week. Um, and I'm not, do, I'm not going to do that as a hook. It's going to kind of feel unfinished, not clever. Uh, you know, the TV shows are clever. They give a hook and you have to come back. That's what I don't like is that it actually it has this pull on me. This isn't going to seem uh, clever. This is just going to seem like, hold on, that's a bit abrupt. You just kind of ended. Uh, this is why. What, what I'm going to do here is we're going to look at portraits of people in, Neo, in, in Ruth. And the story is going to pick up. And as the story picks up, we'll be able to move along quite quickly. But to move along quite quickly now, we'll miss the portraits of the people in this book. And you are a person, and I'm a person, and you have a, a portrait, and I have a portrait, and we're different. And it's, it's because I want to value you and the dignity that God has made you a specific way to pause and look at people. And you might see yourself in these people, and God may challenge or encourage you, and so that's worth it. Uh, and so we're going to take it a little bit slow to begin with. The first kind of two, three, uh, the first two or three weeks are going to be mainly portraits of people, um, and then we're going to pick up with the storyline. And I promise you this: Jesus comes in as good as he ever comes in in any story you've ever heard ever. And we're not going to get there today, but I promise you he does. So just in case you think we're going a di- different direction and we're kind of leaving gospel centrality, Christ centrality out, it, we're not. But we're just looking at portraits of people. When I moved here uh, 11 years ago, um, I, my, my parents were living here at the time, but they were on their way out. And I thought we were kind of the first tappings to live here. And I went to One Room Museum, and there was a lady who had a smile like my dad. My dad has a very sideways smile. It's, it's very unusual. Um, and, and I looked at her, and I covered her eyes, and I was, I was looking at my dad, except with a, a woman's body. And, um, I, I, and her name, I read the little article, and it was Dolly and Molly uh, Tapping. So I contacted my dad and I said, do you know if we've ever had relatives live in Australia? And he said, oh yeah, my great uh, my grandfather lived there, my dad lived there, my dad lived there, I live here. Now my son, so five generations and a suburb named after our family tapping up north. He's like, why didn't you ever tell me that, dad? I, I see your auntie in the Wanneroo um, library, uh, museum. It's like, oh, I didn't think it was important. <laughs> I didn't think it was worth mentioning. And it probably wasn't, uh, to be honest, but it's just kind of cool and fun. But there was something about her that reminded me of my dad. There was something in her portrait that let me see him, and we connected family dots. Now, I'm going to try and do a good job of showing you these people, and depending on where you're at in your life, you may see a portrait of yourself in them. 
Now, if you are in very, very, very close relationship with someone, like a kind of a bridge that can't be broken no matter what, then you're allowed to see them in a portrait as well. You can't see someone that you don't really know well and go, hey, Mark was speaking to you this morning, and then the bridge of relationships broken forever, and they never come back to church. Uh, but hey, if it's your husband or wife or your best mate, and you know they love, they know that you love them, and then you're, then if you hear something, you can say, hey, I think there's a little bit of that in you. Um, let's talk and pray about it. Some of the portraits are amazing. Then you are free to tell anyone and everyone. All right. So, let's get to Ruth. Um, this morning we're looking at a guy named Elimelech. And Ruth 1 verse 1 says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. If you go to the verse before verse 1, now there's no verse before verse 1, so you have to go to the previous book. The previous book is Judges. The last verse of Judges says, Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in the land. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, this is where that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Turn the page in the days of the judges. We just read about them. Ruled there was famine in the land. Um, the book of Judges shows the cycle, this downward spiral of the Israelites. They would go like this. God's people would rebel against him. The Israelites would rebel against him. Then, uh, they would, then God would judge uh, their sin uh, and come against them. And then they would, uh, re, uh, there would be some kind of a redeemer who would come in. Someone would send to call them to repentance. And then they would repent and cry out. And then God would restore them and bless them. But over the years, it got worse and worse. That's why it's a spiral down. The, the repentance got less and less. The redeemers got worse and worse. So the first one we have is a guy named Othniel. And he's basically, like in so many ways, reminds us of Jesus and brings them back into rest. The last one is Samson. And we know about him. He's awful. It's hard to imagine that he even understood much about God, but he's the last one. And Samson, uh, here's some of his, um, you know, he's not around, so I can take his, his ugly things out of his closet, but uh, he wants to marry a Philistine. This was not permissible. Uh, he touches and eats out of a dead body that breaks the law. He throws a drinking party, which is a bit unbecoming um, of one of God's uh, redeemers, and he, and he gives his wife away to another man. And then Samson takes his own life and that of God's enemies, but he doesn't bring God's people to rest. His final act of, uh, of kind of trying to bring God's just, justice, rightness, his act of repentance is that he pushes those pillars at this party, uh, the, the, they fall in, everyone dies, including himself, but God's people don't have rest. That's not the kind of redeemer Jesus is. And so it just goes down and down and down and, and until you get to this, and then it's just terrible. And so um, the book of Judges moves through this time, uh, and, and, the, and these deliverers, these redeemers and that, and then God's people uh, completely lose their way um, and become every bit as bad as the pagan nations that were in this promised land. Remember, God gave Israel this promised land, and now they are every way as godless as the people that were there before that. There's no distinction. God had chosen Israel to be a distinct people whom the world could look at and see what God was like. But there was nothing of God left in the people. Um, and so these were dark times. That's what Judges 17 to 21 shows us. Uh, disobedience to God. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
We love in our Western cultures that we get to be independent, individuals. We love relativism and tolerance. We love those things. You know, do what's, you be you, I be me. You do what's right for you. We love those things. You know, the Bible says, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Was the darkest time in Israel's history. It's not a good place to be when we're living as independent individuals. When each one's doing as they see fit, necessarily. So number one. As we look at this verse, in the days of the judge, when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. Bethlehem, uh, a man from Bethlehem, this is where famine is. So the name Bethlehem means house of bread, but house of bread has no food, right? It's a bad name or something else is going on. It's probably a good name, but famine's probably not usual for the house of bread, but it, it alerts us to know that something's happening in this place that's a little bit unusual, that's not right, right? There's famine in the house of bread. And this man has a choice to make. He can either stay in Bethlehem, the house of bread, in the promised land, uh, the land that God put him in, with the people that God put him with. He can trust God to provide um, while, while he mourns with his neighbors for the sin that obviously God is dealing with and, and the reason for the famine in the land. Uh, or he can go to Moab. He can go somewhere else where there might be more food. He can go fill his tummy somewhere. Now, this isn't um, a geographic decision. When you come from a place called the House of Bread, and this is a culture where names have meaning. It's not just what name do you like. It's what is this place? This is a place called the House of Bread. This is where God shows His provision for us and feeds us and cares for us. That's how we know a God of uh, provision It's a spiritual thing when you're willing to leave that place. Uh, This house of bread was a reminder to all of them of God. And so they have to decide whether they're going to leave this place that is named God's provision, where God will feed us, where God will take care of us. You know, Esther's, the, the name of Jesus, the banner of Jesus that calls us to himself. They've got to decide to leave this flag of God's providence and care. And go somewhere else um, because there's famine. They're hungry. It's an issue of the heart, really. It's a matter of faith and repentance. If there's no bread in the house of bread, do we go to God or do we go somewhere else? And so they go somewhere else. Um, and this is, this is a decision that they make in their heart to do. And we're all tempted, you and I, to make our own way through situations. You and I face situations that aren't super comfortable, that we don't always like, where we can say something like, but God, you promised to be good, but this doesn't feel good or doesn't look good. Uh, let me say, marry, the Bible says marry, it's good for a man to find a wife, that marriage is a good thing, it's a gift from God. And you get married and after a couple of years you go, this really is hard, it's not that great. God, come on, where are you? I thought this was supposed to be bliss. I'm just... We start looking outside the marriage friendships get hard, or a job gets difficult, and you face discouragement. Any number of different forms of famine in our lives, and, and we think, God, you're not coming through for me. This is not how it's supposed to be. This is not what I signed up for. We often find God in beauty. We always find, almost always find God in beauty. Popularity, prosperity, power, profile, but we're not good at finding God in our pain. 
right? When we're disillusioned and we're not good at finding God in that pain. And yet there's every chance that that's exactly where God is. Uh, in a couple of weeks or in some weeks' time, we're going to hear more of Richard and Heather's story with Eleanor Grace. But one of the, one of the greatest testimonies from my vista is that through this traumatic and difficult time where there's real darkness uh, that they've faced, that they have not the, the real pain, that they have clung to, but God is good. That's unusual faith. That's, that's famine. There's famine in the house of Huel. But we know that God is the feeder of our souls and that Jesus is the Lord of life. We'll cling to Him. It's been unusual and wonderful to watch. So we've got to ask the question, what's in our hearts? Regardless of what we know, we've got to bypass what we know because often we think about what we know and, and our beliefs get in the, in the way of us um, checking in with our hearts because we know so much. We go, yeah, you know, we can cycle through our thoughts and our beliefs and our knowledge and we can think we're in a good place, but if we could get past the beliefs, Elimelech never stopped believing that God was the provider. If you asked him the theological question, he'd have no problem saying, yeah, God's the provider of our food, he, he, this is what he's done, blah, blah. He, his faith wasn't, it, it wasn't his um, knowledge that was waning, there was an issue of faith in his heart. And it's a hard place for us to get to. And so they choose to go to Moab. And I've created this acronym, I think, for uh, Moab, uh, and I hope you like it. It's definitely not the meaning of the name. Uh, but he chooses his own achievable battle plan. Moab, my own achievable battle plan. When things aren't going the way that I like it, when life's not turning out the way that I want, or when the ter- life is turning out the way that I want, that I'm, I, I want to go this way or that way. I'm not sure if God wants me to, but I want to. I decide, I've got, I'm at a fork of a road, and I decide to go my own achievable battle plan, something, a life, a form that I can control or that I want. Um, and this is obviously uh, clearly a form of faithlessness. There's no way for him to go to Moab without going through one of two places, the Jordan River or the Dead Sea. For him to get from the Promised Land, from Bethlehem, to Moab, he's got to go through one of those two places. And so every single day along the journey, and it's a difficult journey, every day along the journey, he's got to choose again to walk away from the flag of Jesus Christ. Every day he's got to walk away and go, I'm, today I'm again choosing my own achievable battle plan. This is God's grace on him. You know, uh, let me show you why. If you choose to go uh, through the Jordan, you've got to face this. That you know, and the story is told over and over and over, about how God saved your people from uh, Egypt, from Exodus, through sin. They wandered around for 40 years, but then eventually uh, God led them with Joshua through the Jordan Sea by some miracle into the promised land where they pushed back the darkness and God helped them defeat their foes and a chosen people were placed in a land where God says, a land flowing with milk and honey, this is a place I'll take care of you and love you and care and the world can look and see how great I am. You'd have to cross that Jordan River and deny those promises. You would have to say, the problem is, not not that you would ever say this with your head, because you wouldn't, theologically, you know too much, but you'd say it with your heart, the problem is, God, I'll get on with my, taking care of myself. And you've got to go through that Jordan. Now, that's the long way around, but, but that's one of God's 
graces. And there had to be at least this inside feeling of, I know this is not right. But the problem is it makes so much sense. And that's the hardest thing. I don't know how pride works for you. This certainly is, there's a conviction in my heart. I know it's not right, but there's a greater sense. But, but I, I want to be right, and I am right, and, and, and these are the reasons I'm right. But it's like the Holy Spirit won't ever shout at me. He won't ever bully me, but he just gnaws away. Yeah, Mark, or everything you said makes sense, and you're wrong. He must have had that. Otherwise, he could go the way of the Dead Sea, and if you, that's the shorter route, the more obvious route to go, I guess. But if you go through the Dead Sea, you faced, you had to go through, and you had to face, you'd have to see these salt plugs, these pillars of salt that, that sat along the Dead Sea. And you can even go there today, and you, you can go see them. But if you did that, you would be reminded of the story of Lot's wife. Even today, when they take people to the Dead Sea and they show them the salt pillars, they point to the story in the Bible of Lot's wife who what? Who disobeyed God, who did exactly what God said not to do and became a pillar of salt. In, in, our, in, in my mind, I, I see this kind of like lots of white gray, uh, granulated salt in, in a hill, but actually it's probably more like a rock form, just this rock form of, of salt, worthlessness, nothing. Just stopped in his tracks, God created a fossil, immovable. And he, he would have to go across that and look up at these salt pillars and choose to keep going. So in God's grace, every day there's these signs that yell, turn back, turn back. It's like God's, even though God's busy judging Israel, it's like God's giving him grace to still turn around and go back. Even in his judgment, God is patient and kind. God can't stop being patient and kind because God is always good. And so um, this is how, you know, stubbornness works, that he's committed to his own way and he rejects God in his life. This guy never stops thinking of himself as an Israelite. You don't have to forsake your faith to walk in disobedience. You don't have to decide to no longer be a Christian in order to walk outside of God's will on your life. You just have to go towards your own achievable battle plan. You just have to do what makes sense in your own head. You just have to ignore the salt pillars and the Jordan rivers. You just have to stay in your head and never get to your heart. And we can all live this way. That's not congruent with our beliefs. I, my friends, I know so many, I know so many people you know bumper stickers and people, you know, love God but not love, I love God but not the church. Elimelech. Fallen out of, their, fallen out of a life that's congruent with their beliefs. It's not that they've changed their beliefs. They don't think Jesus is any less than what he said he was or what they believed he was or what they believed when they got baptized. But their life has no reflection on that. Why? They're going their own way. They're doing their own thing. I was going to tell you a few stories of some of that, but, but actually I think some of those people might listen to this and um, I'd rather tell them face to face. But we can have strong beliefs, good beliefs, true beliefs, and yet still live from a, a place where we, are, we don't actually believe in our hearts. 
and we go our own way. The opposite direction. Okay, so uh, this life of self, Elimelech, basically goes to the place where self-will is born, where uh, Moab, the Moabites, my own achievable plan, he's deciding to go his own way, to commitment to his own uh, understanding. Let me explain where the Moabites came from. Some of you might know this. Those of you who don't, let me tell you about it. So when Sodom and, uh, God decided that he was going to rain down wrath upon Sodom and Gomorrah because of all the sin, Abraham was praying and said, God, could you just say, if there's just you know, this many, will you save it? And God said, yeah, if there's that many righteous people, I won't rain down wrath, but that many righteous people weren't found. So then Abraham prayed again and just a, little, a few less people, and they weren't found. And then Abraham prayed a little bit less, and they weren't found. In other words, there was no one righteous in this place. But there was this one guy in his family named Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. And they were Abraham's cousins or nephew. And, and God said, can, they, can you save them? And, and God said, yes. And uh, so they were told by an angel to get out of the city that on this day the, the, God's going to rain down. Uh, his wrath against Sodom and Gomorrah for all their sin, his judgment, there's no repentance, there's no turning. They're gonna, so they can, they can be saved, they can be rescued. So they decide to go out, but the angel says, don't turn back or you, or you will die. You know, just, just head out and run. And, um, and that's kind of a natural thing, right? So they, they go, and Lot's wife turns around and becomes this pillar of salt. And now there's, God rains down on Sodom and Gomorrah wrath. All the people in their community are now dead, right? All the people you know, gone. So you know that, what, what would it be like if you were alone on a treasure island? Those questions. I mean, there's lots of people in the world, but they don't have like planes and trains and buses. They, they're just alone on, on the untreasure island. What do they do? So Lot's eldest daughter, uh, the dumb one, comes up with this plan to, you know, let's get dad drunk, and then he can sleep with us and get us pregnant. Why? Because if something happened to Lot, and these girls were alone, they had three choices. One, sell yourself into slavery. That's not a great option. Two, sell yourself into prostitution. Also not a great option. Three, try and find a a distant family member who will care for you. Well, how are you going to stay alive until you find a distant family member who can care for you? Again, no planes, trains, emails, text messages, where are you going to get them? Everyone you know is dead. So you need, you need, you need some other men in the family. And if the, the, how are we going to do that? We're going to get dad drunk, and he's going to get us pregnant, and then we're going to have sons, and then at least we have an inheritance. So the eldest daughter gets pregnant first, and her son is born, and she calls him. Take a guess. Moab. That's where we get the Moabites. They come from an incestuous, faithless relationship with God who should have known God and in the middle of being saved by God could have gone, I don't know why he saved us, but we can trust him. It makes no sense, but let's cling to him. Instead, turn to her own achievable plan, got her dad drunk, had a baby, called it Moab, and now we have this tribe. And they're pagans. They worship Baal. They hate Israel. They mock Israel. Whenever they're strong, they oppress Israel. And this is where they're going. It's virtually impossible for this family to raise a godly family in Moab. Now, this is why I'm trying to do these portraits, because if I just got through like 10 verses today and showed you how Jesus rushes in, and you'd miss the fact that so many of us can, in through seasons of our lives, behave faithlessly like Elimelech. 
where we form our own achievable battle plans, but in those plans, there's no possible way to live a godly life. So with a head full of theology and a heart full of pride, he does the unthinkable and goes and makes a plan that has no inclusion of God. They live as foreigners without their faith, without their identity, and most importantly, without any testimony. While they're there, they can't share about God with anyone. They're living outside of faith. They're living faithlessly. A friend of mine who stopped going to church because he got discouraged Uh, as all Christians will, because churches aren't perfect. Those of you who think they are, you're going to be terribly shocked. There is no perfect church. And in discouragement eventually comes, you start to see weaknesses or flaws, and it's very easy to get issues in your heart. All of us have, I have, you have, maybe. And a friend, so you stop going to church like everyone else's bumper sticker, um, love love God, but not the church. And... um, so I asked him this question. You know, as we debate philosophically, there's kind of no, no, he's got good reasons. You know, I've got good reasons. I've got the Bible on my side. He's got his life and experience and free will on his side. So you can't really win. And, um, but the question was this, what happens if the people that you're reaching out to get saved? What are you going to do? And he said, oh, I'll just send them to a church. And for the first time, I think he could see the, the, flaw in his plan. So if they need a community, why don't you? And if you're going to send them to a broken people, what's your problem with the broken people? We're, we're all broken trying to figure this out with Jesus. Um, and I can, I can, I, I, it's wonderful that today he's back in a church and serving with his family. Ruth, the second verse says, the name of the man was Elimelech, I've already told you that, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Three points I want to make, and I've already made the first one, discouragement. In your Christian walk, you will be discouraged. You will be discouraged by God, directly, or discourage, you know, through disappointment. God disappointed you. Just things don't work out the way you want. Things are harder. You don't get your way. Things, dreams you thought you, you, you did have, not thought you had, just, just doesn't work out. You get, I'm not trying to poo-poo discouragement. I'm just trying to make it just obvious that it's there. It doesn't make it not painful, but, but I'm just saying it's just there. There's discouragement. There's some disappointment. And we all will experience that through people. People will let us down. People do let us down. I know, I know in, in this church, if you're, not a, if you're a visitor here, uh, just stick around a little bit and you'll meet someone I've let down. And if you stick around long enough, I'll let you down. Um, and, and let's just switch around. If you stick around long enough, you'll let me down. Relation, we're not perfect people. We're not perfect friends. We're not perfect husbands or wives or parents or children or citizens or neighbors. And our faith isn't always perfect. You can get discouraged and you can get disappointed and it is painful. And God may discipline you. The Bible says God disciplines those He loves. When when His discipline comes into our lives, how do we deal with that? There was famine in the house of bread. Something spiritual was going on in Israel. Number two is disconnection. 
when we get disappointed and when we get discouraged, there's a temptation to disconnect. The man's name is Elimelech. Do you know what Elimelech means? You don't. I hope you don't. These are, like the, these are the one or two moments where a preacher feels like he has something other people don't have. Just don't know. All of you studiers don't know. Don't know. Let me tell you. His name means my God is king. So, I mean, can you imagine running around? Let's say Harry. Harry's running around, and Steve's playing footy with him. And Steve's like, my God is king. Kick the ball. My God is king. Kick the ball. Every single day, he, every time he hears his name, as often as you hear yours, he hears, my God is king. So when Elimelech failed to tr- trust God, when he took his family out of the community, God put them in, and he takes them into Moab, a faithless place, he's not acting himself. He's not being himself. So you can look at someone, you can look at yourself and go, I'm not being myself. I'm not being who God has made me to be. I'm not being who God has called me to be. I'm acting outside myself. Elimelech is not acting my God is king. Elimelech is acting like Elimelech is king. Or my God is not king. One of the two. Either my, my God is not king, he can't be trusted, or I am king. I'm as powerful, the Genesis lie that Satan convinced Adam and Eve to believe. And so you can be a mature believer, Elimelech was, and you can still put yourself on the throne of your hearts. Watching his wife and sons and people struggle through famine under God's hand must have been very hard. But when you trust God, when you cling to God, watching Eleanor in a hospital, not knowing if she's going to come out. It's hard. I mean, that's not, even a, that's not even a sin issue. It's just a life issue. It's hard. But God is good. And we can cling to Him. And we can trust Him. And that doesn't guarantee the end of the story. The story could end any which way. And He is still good. But there's a decision that you have to make in the pain to look to a good God, to trust in a good God, or to turn your back and become faithless. And so he takes his sons and his wife out of a life of faith. And they begin a life of self-made living. The best way to erode someone's faith is not with a punch straight in the face. It's gently, slowly. One discouragement at a time. One disillusionment at a time. One disappointment at a time. Little by little by little by little. Until there's a disconnection. They're no longer in the house of bread. They're no longer with their people. In their hearts, in our hearts, in their hearts, they're gone. Now they're on their own, now they're going their own way, making their own plan. They're going to figure it out themselves. Ephrathite means 
fruitful. That's his tribe. So this is how you can read it. So my God is king, a fruitful man from the house of bread, which is in praise to God, takes his family for a little wonder in my own achievable plan to fill their tummies. disconnection a short trip turns into a long stay it says they remained there that's a that's a old way of writing to say it wasn't to fill their tummies this was now their new location and this is how we can be we you would if you said to Elimelech in Israel when there was house in when there was food in Bethlehem do you think you will ever take your family and live that way he would have said no ways because we don't start with disconnection we start with discouragement and disappointment but he got there disconnection number three now i told you i've got three points after this there's none number three is death disappointment Disconnection and death. Limelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. We often don't think about the consequence of our actions, whether it's because we're too prideful or whether because that's how spiritual warfare works. Don't show you the consequences, just get you doing little things, little things, little things. But they're quite radical. Um, our own plans always look very good to us. That's why we do them. They make sense to us. That's why we walk out in them. Uh, it's not because we're dumb. It's because we've made a commitment to a plan that seems good to us. We've argued against maybe our own theology. But I, I will say this to you, and I mean it. Most of us, not all, every one of us, but almost, almost every one of you in this room, your heart theology is stronger than your head theology. You don't know what your heart theology is. You don't know what you believe in your heart. But when you get disappointed and disconnected, what comes out in your life is your heart theology. And very few of us in this room are able uh, to live out head theology. What we know, what we know to be true. We know it. If we had to write it down, if we had to teach someone else, this is what we'd say. But how we live, what we live with day to day, the feelings and the thoughts and the arguments racing around us, that's your heart theology. And we live out our lives out of heart theology because it seems good to us. Martin Lloyd-Jones says our biggest problem is that we listen to ourselves. We don't speak to ourselves. And what he's saying as a very smart man who probably found it easy to speak to his heart, which easier than most of us do, is he was saying you need to take what you know to be true and you need to push it down into your heart and say, shush. I'm speaking to you now. I will, I will not be disconnected. I, I will not let this disappoint me, disappointment or discouragement remove me from a position of faith. I know who God is. I know I can trust Him. And I know I may need to be the one repenting. But I'm not leaving this place. I'm not leaving this position. That, that's what Martin would John, you know, you've got to speak to yourself, not just listen to yourself. Um, so we may decide to live, li live in the pain for just a little bit. We may, we may decide to listen to our hearts for just a minute. 
and, and we think it's not a big deal, and we may, may just kind of like wallow in it a little bit, because there is, there is some kind of weird enjoyment in, in sitting in, in the pain just a little bit. But the problem is that we see through this is, but he remained there. <laughs> the, the difficulty is it's, it's hard to get out. It looks like a shallow pit, but it's actually like sinking sand. And you just go deeper in and deeper in. And you, you can't say, it's, you almost can't rescue yourself. I remember um, I, was an, I was an elder at a church in L.A. And uh, I wasn't the leader of the church. There was a leader of the church and a very good one. And I remember his wife sitting us down uh, one day and saying, Mark, do you think you can still follow so-and-so? And like that, she got to my heart. Because if she got to my head, I would have had no problem with his leadership. He is, he is a great leader, a good man. I, I could cognitively say nothing. She just bypassed all of that and went straight to my heart and said, are you struggling to follow him? And I couldn't say no. I mean, I couldn't say, yeah, I couldn't say no. With every reason my head could give, my heart had to say, yes, I am. And I remember that feeling of a sinking pit and saying, I don't know how to come out of this. I don't know how I let my heart get poisoned towards a man that I love. A man that I, I recognize as one of the best leaders I've ever seen. A man who's only done me good, but I've allowed something to get into my heart. I wallowed in it a little bit. I thought I'll just sit here for a little while, and then I remained there. And now I don't know how to get out. And by God's grace, he got me out. By God's grace. Elimelech never rejected God to go die, but he died when he rejected God. It's not a good place to be. His leadership of his household was cut short. We have no clue how he died. We have no clue when he died. But we know that he left his family in a faithless, bankrupt place. Bet you he didn't think that that's what was going to happen. This is an amazing grace when you read this story. Just reading this verse, and I'm going to close it now. I told you the episode is just going to end. But it started, read that verse. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, this is the author's genius. The author knows what's going to happen now. God's going to write Elimelech out of the story. So to continue telling it, we've got to bring in another character. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, come here. Let's put the focus on you, young lady. We'll get to you in a minute, but we need you now. Why? He died. He's out. And she was left with two sons. And just like that, he's, Elimelech is no more. You never hear about him again. He's gone. We don't want to be written out of God's story. We are invited in to God's story. Bringers of the light, don't cover it with a basket. You know so many texts. But as we live in our own achievable plans in ways that make sense to us and think, I'll just go do that a little while. It's not a big deal. I'll eventually get to what I know to be right. The grace of the story is not to name and shame Elimelech, not to condemn Elimelech, 
not to just harp about how bad he was and what he should have done. The grace of the story is he's just gone, blown away. We can't afford the journey of disappointment or discouragement, the decision of disconnection. Because then all hell breaks loose. Death. Now here we're talking about spiritual death. There's only one occasion in my life where I think I've seen God actually end someone's life in sin. I'm not even 100% sure. I couldn't tell you that it happened. But, but, I've, but they, they were spiritually dead a few years before they were physically dead. My point is... is not to make you argue with me about what that was. My point is this, to say that's not the usual case. God doesn't just write us off and make, stop our hearts from beating and saying, no, you're no more. We're not that important to uh, what he's doing. He loves us too much. He's called us and invited us and he's working with us. But we can still face spiritual death and all that that means. Loss of joy, loss of faith, loss of dreams, loss of hope. How do we get out of here? How do we get in here? And that's not a place that God would have any of us. My God is king, is no more. No life, no testimony, no good to the community that God put him in. The first profile, if you see yourself there, is a warning. Don't be a one minute is too long. Don't go on the journey. Don't miss the daily signs, the Jordan, the pillars of salt. Don't go there. You might have every reason. The house of bread may be in famine. But every reason you have to leave is actually a reason to get on your knees and look up to God. The house of bread is in famine. What Elimelech should have done is this. My sons and my wife come here. Let us get on our knees and say, Lord, we don't know why our lives are experiencing this. And if there are ways in us that are displeasing to you, we repent. You are king of our hearts and we turn back to you. Feed us. Lead us, love us. We are sorry. It should bring humility, softness. Uh, that's what I'm trying to demonstrate is a humility to stop and pause and say, God, I trust you. I'm choosing to look to you and to cling to you. Let me read this in Ephesians and then we're going to take communion together. Paul's writing to Christians, not Israelites, but Christians. Remember that when you hear what he says. This I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. I'm just going to skip some parts just to pick up and highlight. 
They were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their hearts. The way that they live has to do with their hearts. Don't live like that. Dropping down to verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Be renewed in the spirit of the minds. You've got to see this differently. You've got to think about this differently. And put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Take it off. Stop. Stop. How do you get out of that sand pit? That that sinking sand? Stop. Take off. Put on new creations renewed in the image of Christ, a righteousness and a holiness that isn't yours. That isn't mine. What is that? What is that? What is that action of putting off and putting on? It's a turning back to faith. It's exiting my own achievable battle plan. It's rejecting my way of living. Saying no more. I don't want spiritual death. I want spiritual life. And that's found in the place that God puts us. So I take it off. And I put on the life that He has made for me. Not a life I earn. Not a life I've made. But a life that He has given. A righteousness and a holiness that comes through faith in Him alone. Paul's speaking to Christians. He's not trying to save anyone. He's trying to get Christians to live with soft hearts towards God in a place of faith. As we come this morning to communion, I want to pause and ask you, if you are in Elimelech, please do not come here without making that decision to take off and to put on and come to this table with joy-filled repentance, knowing that you can come by the grace of God. We sang a song this morning that, that God, make these dry bones live again. That's the God we live. And if you've gone and lived in Moab and you know that you've just become nothing but dry bones or you're fast becoming nothing but dry bones, then come to the giver of life. But come in repentance. Don't think you can come with your plan in your pocket. Don't think you can come with your arguments and your reasons and your disappointments and discouragements and your lists to show everyone. You can't. Because when you take it off and you turn in faith to God, it doesn't always make sense. Choosing to trust God requires faith, requires humility. you're not an Elimelech, come back next week. There's a couple more portraits. We'll find you. We will. And eventually we're going to find Jesus. And eventually we're going to find how He has called us, whoever we are. Elimelech, Malon, Chilion, Orpah, Ruth, Naomi, whoever you, whoever you find yourself in, you're going to see how God has called all of us to join with Jesus and to be different. Take 30 seconds. 
If you're no Elimelech, pray, please. Because it will be awesome if Elimelech's turn. Pray for spiritual life. Push back the darkness right now. If you're not in Elimelech, pray for hard hearts, for discouragement, real pain, lists that people have already made in their head. It's hard, friends. It's not a no-brainer. Stripping off the old. Pray. And if you are one, know that people right now are praying that the darkness that has been over your heart, we push back. We're joining with you. No one's judging. I could be right now the Elimelech in this room. I don't need your judgment. I need your grace to welcome me back. Right? Now, we're not going to know who's who because we're all going to take 30 seconds to pray. But after 30 seconds, you all know how long that is. As you're ready, come and let's partake in the body of Jesus that was broken for our sins. Jesus said, come, let me give you bread. Let me fill your tummies. Let me give you life. I am the bread of life. Come back. And if you're in Elimelech, come and feast because the house of bread does not have a famine. The house of bread has a feast and the name is Jesus. Come back to the house of bread and come feast. And let's drink of the cup of his blood, his covenant to you and to me to say, yes, you want, I don't even want to talk about it. I am always committed to you. It's done. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would love to talk to you about him today, next week, tomorrow. Any, if you came with someone, they can. And if you're disenfranchised and you're, you're disconnected from a church that you know that God has placed you in, then you deal with your heart, please, and you get back there humbly, not with your list of things that they did wrong. You go back humbly, ready to blow wind into their sails, ready to serve with the gifts that God has given you, ready to participate in community, and ready to push back the darkness with our brothers and sisters all over Perth and see the light of Jesus come in. But come to our table. It's yours too. 30 seconds begins.